Are you a member of the DSO Connect community? Join us. We are a free group on Facebook for dance studio owners to connect, share ideas, inspire one another, and provide support. We help troubleshoot each other's problems and celebrate each other's successes. We have two Zoom calls every month, Coffee Chat Fridays and Wind Down Wednesdays, where we get to hang out together with fellow DSOs who really truly get it. And y'all, I can honestly say that this community is the reason why my studio has survived COVID. Without the amazing support and inspired ideas of the incredible members of this group, I'm not sure I would have made it. So if you're looking for support, connection, and judgment-free advice, join us today. Just search for DSO Connect Community on Facebook and answer the questions to join. We can't wait to meet you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the DSO Connect podcast. I am Robin and I am flying solo today because Casey is a little under the weather. I'm excited to introduce to you Carrie Euchre, who is the ballet director at my studio, EMC Performing Arts Studio. And she is also the artistic director of the Susquehanna Youth Ballet, which is a not-for-profit uh, youth ballet company in residence at our studio. So Carrie and I have been working together for a while and I'm gonna introduce her real quick. And um, we've got so much to talk about with Carrie. It's going to be a great podcast today. Hi, Carrie. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. You know, we, we work together um, and I haven't seen you in a while because I've been in Florida, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's it, so it seems like it's been a while since I've seen your face, but we, we, we do communicate on the regular yeah. um, via this new technology. Before we- Welcome back. Thank you. Before we dive into all of the exciting things um, going on in your world, um, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you came through the dance world and, and landed where you are now. Okay, well, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois. Um, I trained in ballet, tap and jazz and modern. Um, I went to college at Mercyhurst College, it's now Mercyhurst University, in Erie, PA, and graduated with a BA in dance and a minor in business, and uh, from there I went on to dance with uh, the second company at Milwaukee Ballet, and then on to David Taylor Dance Theater, as well as some other companies in Denver, and then ultimately I finished up my career with the Missouri Contemporary Ballet. And then after living in Ohio for about a year with my husband, we moved out here to Maryland and I began teaching for Robin. Yeah. What year was that, that you started working with me? I think it, it was 2016, I think. Yeah. It's been like five years. I thought of that the other day. I was like, wow, Carrie and I have been doing this together for quite a while. Yeah. We've got a good groove going on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so when Carrie came to us, um, I was primarily looking for someone to fill um, the shoes of our previous youth ballet director. And um, so I was looking for someone who would, you know, do some business work, but also artistic work in um, our youth ballet. And it's kind of an interesting setup that we have going on here and some of our listeners might be interested in hearing about that because um 
the nonprofit world is kind of a, a totally different um, ball game than the for-profit world. And tying the two together is an interesting relationship because there are some guidelines that we need to follow and boundaries that we need to have so that certain things don't mix and mingle. Um, do you want to talk briefly about what the Susquehanna Youth Ballet does and what its purpose is and um, how it fits in at EMC? Sure. So um, each year we audition dancers. Um, typically they're EMC dancers, but can they can be from anywhere. We audition them um, for the Youth Ballet. We have two parts to the company. We have the SYB and then SYB2, which is for younger up-and-coming dancers. Um, and uh, it's for dancers that have an affinity for ballet or want to get a little extra ballet in their schedule and um, have additional performance opportunities uh, on top of what they already have at EMC. So we typically do one full-length ballet per year. Uh, we do a Nutcracker every other year and then a, a like a spring ballet on the off years. And we have a um, successful outreach program. And in pre-COVID times, we've been able to go perform at nursing homes, libraries, um, have lecture demonstrations with uh, Girl Scout troops, um, all kinds of things so that the dancers are reaching out to our community and uh, getting the community involved as well. Yeah. So I've heard... Um I've heard studio owners talking, you know, now and again about creating a nonprofit at their studio, maybe for their competition team or something like that, um, to kind of offset those expenses for the parents. So what have we learned about um, what the, the, the boundaries and the parameters are that we need to work within um, in terms of keeping the money separate and following all the rules and not getting in trouble? Oh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> what have we learned? Um, well, we have learned that it's, it's really important to keep a board uh, that meets regularly. So our board meets um, quarterly, and uh, none of them are really uh, dance-related people. They all work in other areas. Um, so that's really helpful to have some, you know, outside input for the nonprofit as well. Um, on that note, let me just interject. We do have um, one person on our board that is a parent of an up and coming or a, a young SYB dancer. And you have to be really, really careful when you are um, allowing parents of your dancers to be on the board. Um, we haven't had any bad you know, experiences with this particular mom and she's wonderful, but you just need to be careful if you make, if you build your board full of moms, <laughs> um, you could be asking for some drama or some, some pushback. Um, it's nice to fill your board with people who um, have, like you said, knowledge in certain areas, like we have an accountant, our, our treasurer is an accountant. We have a school teacher in the community. Um, oh, we have one that's a mother of a graduate. A mother of a graduate. Yeah, she's also the school teacher. And then we have um, 
an HR person, we have myself, we have you. And then we have um, also people who have had experience on being on the board of other organizations, which is super helpful if you're new to it, like I was, you know, in terms of having somebody who knows how to run the meeting and keep the minutes and, and, and all of that stuff. It's right. really different than being a dance studio owner because I don't know about you, but I became a dance studio owner because I didn't want to follow other people's bureaucracy and rules. So fo following these guidelines for the nonprofit has been uh, a new experience for me. Um, but we, but we do it and we follow along. Um, it's important that we keep the financials separate so that the, the students who pay for um, Susquehanna youth ballet tuition, which is minimal, um, they, they have to pay it to the nonprofit and not through the studio. We got to really keep our, our finances separate. Um, yeah. So one of the main differences uh, with the nonprofit, if, for those that aren't familiar, is that uh, nonprofits are able to accept donations uh, that are, can be tax deductible. Um, uh, so most nonprofits want to achieve a 501c3 status for that purpose. Right. And for us, we thought that we would be able to receive grant money and also fundraise and we have found the grant piece to be a little a little difficult, but yeah. we have had success with the fundraising. Yeah, the grant writing is you know pretty much a full time job, and yeah. you really need somebody that knows what they're doing and in terms of researching what grants are out there. Yeah, and it's and certainly possible, um, but for us, we found it almost um, prohibitive in the sense of how much time we want to spend on it. It's like, that's not what we want to do full time. We want to create dance and teach and, and, you know, present ballets and that kind of thing. So, but I, certainly there are, are uh, youth ballets who do well with that. So, yeah. all right. So the youth ballet, that's super fun. Um, Carrie, you have a new project um, that you want to talk to us about that you just kind of tipped me off to uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm so excited for you to tell everybody about it. Yeah, so I recently launched a new ballet competition. Um, I say ballet, but it's really, it's focused on concert dance styles. So ballet, contemporary, and modern. And uh, we're kicking things off with a virtual competition in May. And uh, registration is now open. And um, I figured that, you know, with COVID and everything, a lot of dancers already have their dances filmed and recorded. And this is just another way to submit and get a little extra feedback, um, you know, at the end of our season. Uh, and then in 2022, spring of 22, I plan to hold a handful of live events in various cities. So this is really fascinating to me. And, um, for those of you who know anything about my studio, we are a non-competitive studio. So other than Youth America Grand Prix, which is a Susquehanna youth ballet thing, is only participating um, participated in by our youth ballet students, um, my studio does not do dance competition. Not that I necessarily have a problem with it. It's just not where I come from and it's just not my cup of tea. So um, when I met uh, when we, when Carrie started talking to me about this idea of a competition, I was really intrigued because I think that your vision 
correct me if I'm wrong, is really to, it's going to look a lot different than what we typically imagine um, a dance competition to be, including the Youth, the youth America Grand Prix and the, um, you know, those types of ballet competitions. So can we talk a little bit about how, and you're a competition judge, so you've seen, you're not new to the competition world. So can you talk a little bit about what you have um, seen, experienced in the competition world, both as a judge and as um, a director bringing your own students and tell us how you wanna make your competition um, different? Yeah, so some of the things I love about judging are the ability the ability to give uh, audio critiques that the teachers and students then can replay. Um, I think that giving the audio critiques um, allows you to say more and get more in in a short amount of time. You know, when you're watching a dance for two to three minutes, uh, we, you know, as teachers, we want to just impart all our wisdom as much as we can in a short amount of time. So with the audio critiques, I feel like that's really helpful. Um, and I also love that there are different levels that teachers can enter their dance into. So, you know, like beginner, intermediate, and advanced being the most competitive level. So no matter where a student is in their training, there's a place for them to compete, and there's room for recognition within those divisions. Uh, so that's uh, something that I love about, um, you know, judging the mainstream types of competitions. And then I kind of felt in the ballet world that the ballet competitions tend to be a little bit more elitist. Um, you really only see advanced dancers at those. Um, you know, part of that is they're wearing point shoes and it's a safety thing. So, of course, you, you know, I wouldn't encourage any beginner point dancers to perform or compete on stage until they're ready. Um, but I think that ballet and concert dance um, as a whole uh, could use, you know, a little more representation in the competitive world. So when you say concert dance, for those studio owners who may not be familiar with that term, you're talking about ballet, contemporary, and modern dance even. Yeah, yeah. So basically something you would see a dance company put on a stage. Um, I you know, love yeah, companies like modern companies like Paul Taylor or jazz companies like Giordano or, you know, ballet companies. So um, works like that that are made for stage, not necessarily commercial works. I love that so much. You know, recently we were having a conversation um, with, uh, we were having a call, a DSO Connect call with some studio owners and the topic came up of, um, how we as studio owners are preparing our students for college dance programs. And I would love to, to talk with you about this because it's been a long time since I've been in college. Uh, I was in college in 1988 and I was a dance major. Um, I, didn't, I didn't finish, but um, I remember, you know, I went to the Baltimore School for the Arts for high school and my training was all ballet and modern. And when I went into the college dance program, it was mostly modern based. And I'm not sure if that, I, I think nowadays there's many, many, many more ballet based college programs. But back in those days, 
if you were going to be a ballet dancer, you went right to a company and did, did, did some apprentice work. But if you were going to be a modern dancer, you went to college. And my, I remember my teachers telling me, because modern dance requires a certain intellect and you need to have, you know, a certain education so that you can process that through your art. So you have to go to college and learn philosophy and, you know, uh, literature and all these things so that you can express those through your art and um i i was fine with that but um nowadays i feel like in studios there's so much well not at our studio but at a lot of studios there is a real focus on competition dance and um how does that relate i'm asking you because i don't know how does that how is that received by the college dance directors, the, the people who are auditioning students for college dance programs nowadays? Is there a place for the competition dancer or is the competition dancer at a disadvantage? I think, um, I think there is a place there. What I, I, I can't really speak for college directors in terms of what they are looking for, but I feel that um, competitive dancers, um, they are used to being put out under pressure to perform. So they perform well. Um, and they also tend to pick up choreography very quickly. They're trained to learn, learn things on the spot. Mm -hmm. Whereas, and I think this differs from competitive ballet a little bit because uh, what I've seen, and I, I shouldn't generalize, but what I tend to see with ballet dancers is they, rehearse their variations really really well and they can do all the skills and the technical things in them but if you were to put them on the spot learning you know several eight counts very quickly mm. they may not be may or may not be able to catch it really quick so I think that's a, a huge difference between the you know commercial competitive dancers and the, the ballet competition world so a really well-rounded studio education would be really beneficial to a yeah young yeah so you'd want dancers should have the the skills that they would need to get jobs mm -hmm. that's the ultimate goal right if if a kid wants to be a professional dancer they need those skills to be able to go auditions go to auditions and get noticed um and be able to do the job in the company because as we know time is money especially in the arts and things are done quickly. So we need quick, smart dancers. Yeah. Yeah, so the answer to the question is, there is absolutely a place for competition dancers in today's um, college dance programs. And there are real advantages to that, that type of training. Definitely. So your competition will, um, highlight modern dance, which I'm excited about because I've never heard of a, of a competition. Again, I'm not in the competition circles, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen um, modern being uh, presented at a competition before. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, um, you know, what we get in terms of modern submissions because as a judge, a lot of times I see, when I see a modern, it is offered, um, but, but when I see it, they take their shoes off and do a contemporary piece and call it modern. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really seeing any elements of, you know, Graham or Horton or Taylor, or Cunningham, 
whatever the style may be, I don't really see any true modern elements and usually feel that the piece would have been better submitted in a contemporary category. Um, I guess you could call it postmodern maybe, but, um, and I think the reason being is because a lot of studios just don't have that in their training. There's not a lot of time. Um, and also contemporary is the popular thing right now as well. Right. So. Right. So a lot of studios are probably offering contemporary in lieu of modern. I remember a couple of years ago, I asked my, my teaching team, I said, do you think that we should, um, you know, because we offer, we require our students to take a full package, which includes ballet, modern, jazz, and tap, and then contemporary can be an option. And I remember asking the teachers, do you think we should just drop modern and put contemporary in the package? And it was a resounding no. Uh (laughs) it was like absolutely not don't do it don't let it become like an extinct dinosaur and students should be learning it prior to college they shouldn't be going to college and not knowing what you know a contraction is or you know a flat back or you know just the basics of Horton or Graham or Lamone or whatever Um, so I love the idea of of seeing more of that in competitions um, because I don't want it to become a lost art yes yeah, exactly. Yeah, so what is the name of your competition? It's called a Toile Dance Competition. That's star in French. Um, I'm not French, but I chose it because ballet is in French. <laughs> so that's where the name uh, came from. And so how would our listeners um, find out more about your competition if they want to um, get their students registered for your virtual um, competition this this season so you can find us on facebook or instagram or go to our website a 12 comp.com and there's a link on our um homepage or on our event page that you can click on to register and it takes you to dance bug so um for all the competitive studios out there uh you're probably very familiar with using dance bug already yeah. So can you spell it for those people who aren't sure exactly what? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Etoile is spelled E-T-O-I-L-E. And it's etoile.com? Etoilecomp.com. Oh, oh, okay. Got it. Comp, short for competition. Got it. The DSO Connect 2021 retreat is right around the corner and registration is now open. We are heading to Cape Coral, Florida, July 23rd through 25th, and we also have a virtual only option. Spend a weekend with other like-minded, creative, goal-oriented studio owners. The weekend includes two days chocked full of amazing seminars by the DSO Connect team, including yours truly, and one day of implementation sessions where we sit down together and get stuff done. So by the time you leave, you've already got things checked off your list. You'll leave feeling rejuvenated and have an actionable plan to build your studio into a thriving business so you can live your best life. This is an intimate weekend where we all stay in the same fabulous waterfront estate together, so space is extremely limited. Included in your stay is all the amazing content, the implementation day, swag bag, seminar workbook, food and drink for the weekend, including adult beverages, your lodging at the estate, and the priceless connections that you'll make with all the other studio owners. Plus, you'll get a one-on-one follow-up coaching call with one of the DSO Connect team 
after the retreat to help you stay on track. For more information and to reserve your spot, head on over to dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on the Retreat 2021 tab. Don't wait too long because space is seriously limited and these spots will go fast. So again, dancestudioownerconnect.com and click on the Retreat 2021 tab. We can't wait to spend the weekend with you. Do you want to talk about some of the other things that you and I were talking about privately about um, other things about competitions that we would love to see elevated a little bit? Yeah. So we were talking about theater etiquette a little bit. So um, I think it's really important to maintain theater etiquette during a competition. Um, So I would love to have, you know, different sections of the competition. So audience members could stay in for, you know, 30, 40 minutes at a time and then be allowed to get up and leave um, in between different chunks instead of between each number. Uh, So it would be less of a distraction to other performers from, you know, other studios. Um, And I, I, at the same time though, since I'm trying to get away from this, you know, ballet elitism, um, I don't, I don't want people to feel too pressured, uh, like they're, you know, at some super fancy event that, you know, like kids or two-year-olds wouldn't be welcome at. Because I know if I had my kids there and needed to get up and leave, I wouldn't want to be judged for that. So I think there's a, you know, a certain balance. Um, to make ballet accessible to everyone and not make people feel like they're not elite enough to be there, that kind of thing. But at the same time, promoting good etiquette, you know, like not, no cat calls, no hooping and hollering in the middle of a solo, um, right, calling that kind out of people's names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, as dance educators, it's part of our responsibility to also train, train the audience. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and there are what I've learned about putting on performances in a professional theater is a lot of times you're going to have people coming into a professional theater, maybe dads or uncles or, you know, and it's not always men, you know, sometimes females as well, who have never really been to a ballet or a, a, a Broadway show or a theatrical, a live theater experience. And they're Gosh. used to, but they've been to plenty of sporting events. And in sporting events, you can eat, you know, you can get up and go to the concession stand whenever you want. You can come back, check your phone, eat while you're, while you're um, in the stands, you're cheering on your athlete. And if that is the only experience that they've had in supporting you know, their nieces and nephews and, and children and grandchildren and stuff. A lot of times parent, um, people will come to a, a perf- a, our dance performances with that, uh, with, with that as their example of how they're going to behave in the audience. Sure. And it's, and I'm not judging them. I'm saying it's part of our responsibility to teach them. And um, by having the dance competitions and the dance recitals, you know, kind of set forth this, this type of an example, I think that we are just doing our part in um, kind of keeping the tradition of audience etiquette, proper Mm -hmm. audience etiquette in a, in a live theater environment. I think it's important. We got to keep, keep teaching people. Yeah. And maintaining respect for the art form too. Exactly. Exactly. 
Well, I am so excited that you're doing this. Um, I've never really been a fan of competitions, but I'm going to I'm going to be a supporter of this one. <laughs> I, am I am going to um, be enthusiastic about it. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, the impact that you can make on um, not only the dancer's self-esteem and also making ballet, like, like you were saying, making it accessible um, to more dancers who may, who may feel like, hey, I, I love ballet. I might not be, you know, that, next prima ballerina at my studio but i i love ballet and i would like to present ballet on stage and not feel like i'm being super judged on my um on my aesthetic um, yeah yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i that's uh one of my goals is to help kind of make ballet a little bit more inclusive um and we're kind of at a pivotal moment in, in the dance world, I feel, because this is a hot topic, um, you know, in terms of the fact that ballet is for everyone, it can be for everyone, and uh, though, you know, you may not get into ABT, you might not be an ABT dancer, but I really feel that there is a place for anybody that wants to dance, um, so inclusion is going to be a big part of our, our mission. Yeah. And one of the things that we, um, we teach, and I'm sure a lot of studio owners feel the same way, it's not so much that we're trying to train professional dancers or even college dancers. We're trying to teach kids how to become excellent at something. You know, we're trying to teach them what the steps are from, um, from zero to excellent. And hopefully they get as far as you know, as close to excellent as possible. But once you teach a child how to, you know, be consistent, show up, work hard, ask questions, do the work, don't give up, keep trying, you know, keep going. Once you teach them how to do that and you give them a little taste of what it feels like to get to the top of that mountain, they can apply that to whatever mountain they choose to pursue after high school. Exactly. And so, you know, even if your child is not going to pursue classical ballet or um, modern dance after high school, you know, just giving them the opportunity to work consistently in rehearsals to, to get to this, oh, I've got a competition in six months. I've got to train. I've got to stay focused. I've got to, I've got to work even when I don't feel like it. And then that day comes and, you know, it's a big deal because you're traveling to the event and, you know, there's anticipation and there's excitement and there's adrenaline and everybody is excited. And then you have to work through the nerves. And then when it's all over, you have, you feel a sense of elation because you did well, or you feel a sense of, you know, deflation because maybe you didn't quite make the mark, but you've got to learn how to move beyond that. You've got to learn how to put your head up and put your shoes back on and get back in the studio and work again, even though it went poorly over the weekend. And yeah. all of those are the lessons that we're teaching. Yeah, I think that's really empowering to young people too, to be able to realize their goals or say, oh, well, I didn't quite hit the bar this time. I'm going to work hard and keep trying. And it builds confidence um, and also, you know, helps us to develop future leaders in the arts and um, arts appreciation as a whole. We don't want, um, you know, so many dancers have opened up about bad experiences in the arts where they've told they were 
too fat or not, not the right shape or anything like that. So, um, you know, keeping those thoughts um, out of the equation, uh, we can really help dancers to feel confident and, and produce more arts lovers. Yeah. I do think though, what, what you, you'll know better than I do because you're actually in the classroom with the students, but I ha I have, I do have some concerns in recent generations with students. Um, I don't know, being a little bubble wrapped and not being able to accept criticism. You know, back in the 80s when I was in school, you know, we would have to, and I'm not saying it's right, but it, you know, our teachers were hard on us and our teachers insulted us in ways that were not politically correct. And, you know, we would be told that we needed to, you know, lose a few pounds. I'm not saying that that's correct, but we had to learn how to keep going despite that. And if we, and if, and, and there wasn't a lot, I don't know, it seems like in recent generations, there's a lot of um, giving up prematurely because one's feelings are hurt or one doesn't feel a sense of accomplishment soon enough, not enough instant gratification, not the promotion that you are hoping for in a timely manner. And so moving to a different activity or moving to a different studio. Um, what are your feelings about that? Yeah, I think uh, this generation that we're teaching now is has just been brought up a little bit differently. So um, our approach in the studio has to um, match that. And I, I actually talk with my husband about this all the time because he's a college coach and has it's totally different than when he was playing sports in college. At, like you said, when, when we were growing up in dance, um, I think that it takes a certain personality of a dancer to be able to take those, not critiques, but criticisms that are like really blunt and sometimes mean. I, for me personally, I responded really well to that. I had an attitude and would be like, well, like, ask that. I'm going to try harder. <laughs> and, but kids these days do not respond well to that type of coaching. Um, so, so that leads me to the question, though, is it our job as educators to kind of push them beyond that? Or it, is our job I, to, think, I think there are ways to do it without being mean or belittling. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we can still absolutely as teachers teach, you know, the hard work ethic and we can get that across without being, being belittling or inappropriate. Sure. Absolutely. I just don't feel like um, we're doing our, our students, a, a, I feel that we are doing our students a disservice if we cop out and say, well, it's just the way this generation is and we need to, you know, treat them with kid gloves and wrap them in bubble wrap and just keep coddling them and pushing them along because then we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Right. And we're setting them up for trouble too when they get out into the work for <laughs> and when we're, we're we're the old people and they're running the world right we're setting ourselves up for trouble <laughs> right so before we wrap it up is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about your competition in terms of specifics the who what where when why yeah so um like i said earlier go to a twalcomp.com e-t-o-i-l-e comp.com and uh check it out i've got um some of our judges up on the roster already and I just want to note that they are all um, either 
performing still and teaching, or they were former performers and also longtime dance educators. Uh, so they're all very, very qualified to give um, very constructive critiques, and I'm really excited to have them all on board. So go to the website and check that out. And you're not going to give us any teasers or... Oh, I can give a teaser. Um, one of my dear friends is, uh, you may have heard of her, and if you haven't, you've got to follow her. Um, she goes by the Brainy Ballerina, and she's on Instagram and Facebook, and she um, has some really great resources for uh, students and teachers um, in terms of like dance history and um, mindset, goals, and things like that. And she's just a really great account to follow on Instagram. Um, if you need some extra inspiration. Nice. So she's so, one of my judges. So Caitlin Sloan is her real name. So knowing you, Carrie, I'm sure that your um, judging panel will be stellar. I know that you've brought in some really great guest artists um, to work with the Susquehanna Youth Ballet over the years, um, you know, just from your own networking and interactions as a professional dancer over the years. So I'm excited. I'm really excited to see where this competition goes. I'm excited for the students. I'm excited for you. And um, I will keep an eye out and, you know, be cheering you on from the sidelines. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm very excited too. All right. It's good to talk with you and I'll be seeing you at the studio this week. All right. Thanks Robin. Bye Carrie. Bye. Bye.